Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Today, I'm bringing you an interview episode with a friend and colleague, Ashley Sullivan. And she is the owner and operator of her business, Rose Hips and Ritual. She's also an Arvigo abdominal massage therapist, like myself, a fertility awareness educator, and just such a wealth of knowledge. She has four children and a really, really rich um, story to share with us today. Um, in this episode, we do talk about medical abortion and then. Um, she has an experience with a self-led pregnancy release. So if those aren't topics that you're interested in hearing about, then you can just skip past this episode and listen to some of the other episodes. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Ashley. Welcome back everybody to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Ashley. And she is the owner of Rose Hips and Ritual, where she practices fertility awareness. She's a fertility awareness educator, uh, does Arvigo abdominal massage, Yoni steam therapy. And she also lives off the grid in an eco village, which I'm very excited to hear more about. And she has four children, correct me if I'm wrong, but 14, eight, five, and three correct. years old. Um, yeah, so welcome, Ashley. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting me, Allie. Appreciate yeah. It. So um, let's start from the very beginning, from when your first period started, how old you were, what that was like for you, um, what the conversation was like sort of in your family or at school, uh, your friends, things like that. So I was on the older side. I was 14. Um, I had a cousin who I spent a lot of time with. I think she was like 12 and she had started be bleeding before me. So I really ended up talking to her mom about it, my aunt, and she just got me all set up with all the pads and tampons and, you know, let me know how to use them and where to put them and 
she was really easy to talk to about it. At that time, I was actually living with one of my other aunts, so I wasn't living with my mom. It was a very unique situation because my aunt that I was living with had had my cousin when she was only 16. And she, I didn't know this until very much later, but she just had a lot of shame around the feminine. So when my other aunt had let her know that I was in fact bleeding, I just remember her shooting me the dirtiest look that I really internalized for a long time. Um, and then I actually didn't bleed again for a whole nother year. It took me a whole nother year to get another menstrual cycle. And because I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it, I didn't feel comfortable talking about that to either of my aunts. I pretty much lived in fear thinking that I had somehow gotten pregnant by like sitting on a toilet seat or something. It was, it was really scary. <laughs> Did you ever go to a gynecologist around that time? Or when was the first time you went to see a gynecologist? I did not go to an, a gynecologist around that time. I think the first time I went was I went to Planned Parenthood, maybe around the time I was 16, because my cycles were so irregular. And then, of course, they pushed, you know, birth control and I took that. And yeah. Did you ever identify why they were so irregular or was it just kind of your body, your young body trying to figure itself out? Um, I think it might have been my young body. It might have been iron deficiency. Um, several years later, I started drinking Vitex chased mm -hmm. tree berry and that started them like clockwork. So, it cool. so you were drinking it as like a, a tincture or a tea? A tea. Oh, cool. Okay, nice. And so I know that medicine helps to regulate the HPO axis. And so my guess is that I had a hormonal imbalance that I just didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And so how long were you on? Uh, it was a birth control pill? No, I took Depo Provera. Depo. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. How did that go? <laughs> that was mystifying. And I, I think I was on it for a couple of years. It was it was really hard for me to keep track of, you know, going every three months, but still so much easier than taking a pill every day. Mm -hmm. But I remember just having really erratic bleeding and then having no bleeding. And yeah, again, I didn't have anyone to really talk to about it. So I wasn't sure what was normal and what wasn't normal. But they prescribed that with the idea that it would regulate your cycle or what they told me and I was only 16 and they gave it to me in the office that day with no parental consent or anything like that yikes yeah yeah it's it's a kind of like a good thing they're there but mm -hmm. kind of also maybe shitty yeah maybe yeah. there's a reason for you need parental consent for certain things yeah yeah, yeah. um okay and then so your period, it sounds like as you got older and with the assistance of Vitex was able to just kind of regulate and then you were getting it regularly, didn't have very many symptoms or anything like that. I actually started drinking the Vitex and then I got pregnant right mm. away. Okay. So um, how old were you when you first got pregnant? 23. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then how did that pregnancy go? That pregnancy was really hard. I had only been dating my daughter's father for six weeks when we conceived. 
I had definitely been in a place where I was calling in a major life change. Uh, I was just like really kind of deeply rooted in a lot of childhood trauma. And so, yeah, becoming a mother, the, the idea of becoming a mother really made me question my own parenting and like the type of mother that I wanted to be and really helped me to get on a straighter path. Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, but the birth was very traumatic and I, I just, I was young and I wasn't really in a place that I didn't feel empowered to have a home birth because mm -hmm. of the man that I was with, he was in the medical industrial complex and I thought, okay, I'll just have midwives at the hospital and it will be fine. And little did I know it wouldn't be fine. What about during the pregnancy? Was there a lot of like ultrasounds, checking certain things, blood work, that kind of thing? Like, were you kind of overly medicalized even throughout the pregnancy? I wouldn't say it was overly medicalized, but yes, I, I, I did have, you know, the typical ultrasounds and finding out the gender and doing a group B strep test mm -hmm. and I was positive for that and oh wow doing the so, test. So did you have to have antibiotics during your, your labor? I did. I did. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so, um, Anything that you feel comfortable sharing about that, um, that birth, like kind of talk us through the experience of going into labor and then the birth itself. Yeah. So I was, I was about eight days past my due date. They were definitely talking about an induction. I decided to drink some cohosh tea, some, I think it was blue cohosh tea on my 41 week date and then that night I ended up waking up to go pee and my water broke and there was meconium and I knew that that could be really dangerous and I definitely started freaking out because I was I was just in the like worst case scenario at that point in my life about pretty much everything so we rushed to the hospital and I was telling everyone like there's meconium like even the person at the door it was crazy and I got in there and the nurses, like nobody seemed to think that it was a big deal. Um, but it was a big enough deal that they didn't want me to labor. They didn't want me to stand up because they didn't want me to get the floor dirty, which is like crazy. And just like looking back, I'm like, why didn't they just put a chucks pad on the floor, you know? So I was forced, I was confined to the bed where I um, stopped dilating I was four centimeters they let me labor naturally for about seven hours with nothing happening until they finally started the Pitocin and the Pitocin just kick-started me on like all this crazy nausea every time I got a contraction I was like throwing up and dry heaving and yeah just like in a hospital bed not not comfortable, no way of getting comfortable. So I was looking for a way out and I was ready to take any way out they were gonna give me. And that was, it started with, um, it started with an anti-nausea med medication that I don't remember. And then I wanted an epidural, 
but there were two other people who were getting a c-section at that time two other women so i didn't have access to an epidural at that point so i took state all which they have you sign a waiver because state all represses the respiratory system so i had the state all that really didn't do much and then a little while later i had the epidural i basically just passed out after that and i had my daughter's father a doula friend and my daughter's father's mom there basically just shooting the shit while i was passed out until they came in and were like okay you're 10 centimeters it's time to push your baby out and i pushed and i pushed and you know of course i couldn't really feel anything i just had to envision what it was like trying to do kegels and my daughter was born around six o'clock p.m and she was lethargic and blue and cyanotic and very low heart rate um and they didn't actually have the proper resuscitative equipment in the room to resuscitate her so even though they knew state all represses the respiratory system somehow they didn't have the proper resuscitative equipment and i i only know this because like i said my daughter's father was in the room he is in the medical fields he was right there hmm. so they tried to re resuscitate her for however long and couldn't and rushed her off to the NICU and then all of a sudden I was just alone I was just alone in a hospital bed with somebody came and brought me a plate of like cold chicken tenders and french fries like and I just kept thinking that somebody was going to come in and tell me that my baby had died mm. so it was really hard it was very it was very hard and it's still hard because my daughter has special needs because of the lack of oxygen. So she's 14 and we're every day is a new struggle with behavioral issues and her capacity for learning. And yeah, it's really challenging. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And every time I have a guest on that babe had to go to the NICU, I just, I mean, that must be so heartbreaking to not know what's going on. I feel like there needs to be some kind of like, somebody at least needs to update the mom, you know, with what's going on. Yeah, it was, it was so scary. And then, and then I remember the nurse coming in and saying, your baby's, your baby's doing okay. She's an incubator. You need to get some rest now. And I was like, no, I need to see my baby. And they were all like, but you had an epidural. I was like, get me a wheelchair. And finally they did. So mm -hmm. I was able to speak up about that finally and get to see her, but it was absolutely heartbreaking. She was in there for the whole night. I didn't get to sleep with her. Mm -hmm or hold her because she had different monitors on her arms monitoring her oxygen and yeah it was it was very hard and I knew that if I ever had another baby it was not going to be like that so um how long was she in the NICU for she was in the NICU for that night and then part of the morning and then I think that they would come and bring me her periodically throughout the day because they knew that I wanted to breastfeed but that she slept in the NICU and we were there for about three days mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
And then how was the postpartum phase with her? I mean, did you know right away that there was something different or did that develop over time? Yeah, the postpartum was really hard. Um, Like I said, her dad and I, we weren't together for very long. He worked like 60 hours a week and we only had one car and I lived in a condo, not near any friends. And I had a high needs baby. Like I had a very high needs baby. And I remember I gained 25 pounds throughout my pregnancy and I lost 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was like skin and bones because I was really only eating when he came home and he would make dinner because she was so high need. So I was drinking chocolate soy milk and eating granola bars and very, very malnourished, you know, like looking back, I was like, wow, how did I do that? And I knew that, I mean, I guess I would say I, I got, I gathered that she was higher needs than my friend's baby, but it wasn't really until later, like watching my friend's son develop the milestones. And then my daughter has always been at the very end of the milestones. Mm -hmm. And then we had to have, you know, occupational therapy and sensory integration and speech therapy. And none of this was ever funded by the hospital, even though at the end of the day, it was medical malpractice, but they covered their asses. We brought her records to a lawyer we brought her records to a nurse and there was absolutely no evidence of the negligence even though it was it was clear that it was negligence yeah i mean because so you attribute it to having been on the statal that's how you pronounce it right statal yeah and then not having the proper medical equipment prepared like immediately right yeah, yeah. and that there's never been anything that came of that in terms of like them identifying that there was malpractice God, that's such no, it was so weird it was like I was in a twilight zone because you know you go in to see your midwife like six weeks later and I went in later than that it was probably more like 10 weeks and when I went into the office the whole office was a frenzy and they were shutting down the practice yeah like the head the head um midwife was retiring. I don't know if it had been planned or what happened, but between us bringing her records to a lawyer and a nurse and the practice closing, it was just, it didn't feel like there was a way to move forward with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then when did your second pregnancy come along after that? And I'm interested to hear how this experience informed the next pregnancy and your decision of of how and where to birth yeah well my when I when I was pregnant with my daughter I felt such a desire to like become a midwife or a doula and so after her birth after processing the trauma and having some time I did start getting into the birth world and I became a doula and I became a La Leche League leader and just started connecting with some really empowered moms. And around the time my daughter was three, I conceived again with her dad and quickly realized that I didn't want to go through with the pregnancy because I just kind of knew that we weren't going to be together for, for much longer. 
Mm-hmm. And I decided to have an abortion. And that was in about 2010. And at that time, yeah, I just decided to go to Planned Parenthood. And he brought me there. And it was a very detached, challenging experience. But I knew I wasn't ready to have another baby, especially with him. Yeah. Yeah. And he was supportive of that. I mean, I imagine, not that it matters, but just curious. Yeah, he wasn't really supportive he was even with my daughter I had thought about having an abortion because we had only known each other for six weeks but he was strongly rooted in his Christianity and said you know have the baby and I'll take care of the baby and you don't have to be a part of the baby's life at all and it took me some time to warm up and all that but with the next pregnancy I was I just told him like I don't know if I want to be with you and that's like a really big deal that you know bringing in another child bringing another child into the world and just the logistics of taking care of a special needs child and then another child and the way that I mother is like I'm very attached to my children and I want to be with them and educate them and be really close with them so where we were living at the time it was a very seasonal place and I wasn't able to make any money in the winter time and so I knew that if I had another baby it was very unlikely that I was going to be able to leave him and so I think once I really nailed that in for him he he did end up supporting me Mm -hmm. that's great but the the experience in and of itself was not so great. So if you would like to share anything about that experience or anything that you learned from it, um, you can, but if you want to just move on to the next, that's fine too. Yeah, I would like to share because I, I just want more women to know about abortion and what it, what it might look like. And Like I said, I went to Planned Parenthood. I had made an appointment and went in and was very kind of cold environment. And I felt really, I felt really ashamed at the place that I was in. And I remember, you know, watching a video, they have you watch a video. I have no idea what was on the video, but I just remember sitting in that room alone while my daughter's father was in the waiting room and then I had an ultrasound and they asked like do you want to see the ba- the picture of the baby and do you want to know if it's twins like would that make a difference and I just said no I didn't want to um you know it just seemed yeah like going through a rite of passage like that with these people that I had no connection to I had nobody to really talk to about why I was there or like what I wanted. Mm -hmm. It was very, it was very hard and disassociating. And there was a, there was a point where I had some counseling and then they gave me one of the pills, the mifeprestone pill. And after you take that pill, there's no going back, you know, that pill just stops the progesterone and stops life Mm -hmm. 
And I was just, I was very depressed. I knew I wanted more children, but I knew I didn't want more children with him. And so I went home and I took the other pills at night and I kind of like labored throughout the night and you know, the embryo came away and I bled into the toilet and it was very, like I said, it was just very detached, very depressed. Um, yeah, very, very hard experience. It took me a while to get over that. And he and I were together for like maybe three more years after that. And it wasn't until we actually broke up that I was like, I made the right decision. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had my closure at that point. And since then, I've, you know, I don't think about it. It doesn't bother me. But through that time period, it was really hard. Well, and what were you using for birth control in that time? Did you find fertility awareness sometime in there or? I hadn't found fertility awareness at that point. We were using pull out method. I did try to have an abortion first on my own through acupuncture and herbs. Mm-hmm. So I was taking Dong Kwai and black cohosh every four hours. And it seemed really clear that that wasn't going to work. And I had to go the clinical route. Oh, that's very interesting to me as an acupuncturist. Um, did the acupuncturist that you worked with, like they were comfortable doing that? No, she actually, I made an appointment. I think I had written it on my intake form, what I was going in for. I went in, called me back to the back of the room and then was like, this is very unlikely it's very unlikely that it's going to work. Um, yeah. And so she didn't actually end up treating me. So I made the appointment. I, I attempted to go the natural route with the herbs, but at the end of the day, she didn't end up treating me. Yeah. I was just curious about that. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's such like a personal thing and I don't know what I would do Um, as an acupuncturist, if somebody, I mean, it wouldn't be from like a place of judgment on my part of like, why are you doing that? It would just be like, I don't want to give you false hope. And I also wouldn't want to do anything that could potentially harm someone, um, you know, or like if they change their mind or something, you know, it was just, I wouldn't feel like that was in within my scope or something. Um, but I'm, I don't want to fast forward yet to, uh, but we can talk about that maybe in a little bit when we talk about what happens later with you. Um, because I, I think that maybe steaming was a part of, Never mind. We'll go there later. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So then um, let's go into then your, your third pregnancy. Um, just like conception, fertility, uh, the pregnancy itself, anything that you want to share about that? Yeah. So this was in 2015. And by that point, I had become a doula. Like I said, I was a La Leche League leader. I studied the birthing from within method. I went to the farm in Summertown, Tennessee and studied with Pam England and her work 
really helped me to heal my last birth. And so I was in a better place. I felt more grounded. And, but again, it's kind of ironic and funny to say that I conceived with my now husband six weeks after we were dating as well. So there's some irony around that. Um, and so there was a lot of, there was a lot of discomfort in that pregnancy too. Like there was just so much pressure around like, oh my God, like I already have a child and she has special needs and he had a child that was two and a half and we had already known each other and it was very um our relationship and us getting together was very divinely orchestrated so there was a sense of trust in me that knew that like something bigger was happening and there was no such thing as time and we could all relax but he didn't quite feel the same way because he was the provider and uh, just felt an immediate sense of responsibility. Um, when I pretty much as soon as I conceived my son, my intuition was just like huge. It was just before I even knew I was pregnant, I was having dreams about being pregnant. I was getting little downloads um, that I was pregnant and I immediately heard from my inner voice, I guess, or from spirit that I needed to go to massage school so I could study the RV go techniques of mind abdominal therapy. And so I had kind of like heard about RV go therapy and read Rosita's book, but thought, oh, I'll do that when I become a midwife and when I'm licensed to touch people. And after, yeah, after realizing I wasn't actually gonna become a midwife it just kind of got pushed aside and so like I said really early on in my pregnancy with him my intuition just told me go to massage school so I started massage school when I was 20 weeks pregnant and in that time I I reached out to somebody Lilan she lives in North Carolina she came to Asheville and did the um self-care workshop and yeah it was just you know like I know that my husband before he was my husband he was afraid and I was kind of afraid but that like I said there was like a deep trust and a deep resonance and also just the part of me that was like I'm having a home birth like I'm in charge of this birth like I don't need anybody else to tell me how things are gonna go and he was on board right away with home birth. Um, there was a part of me that at first really wanted to just have a free birth because I didn't trust any medical, I didn't want to trust anyone at all. But ironically, we were living on this piece of land and there were only two other homes on there. And in one of the homes, there was a student midwife. And so she was apprenticing with a midwife in our area and she would come in and check on me. Of course, she didn't believe that free birth was a great option. She wanted me to have prenatal care and have support. And my husband was really on board with that because we had other children and he didn't, yeah, like he just wanted other women there. Mm -hmm. And so 
I just felt really good through that pregnancy because I was in massage school. I was totally getting pampered. I was getting massages all the time. Um, like I said, my intuition was just, I just felt so grounded in the sense that I was doing the right thing. And I would periodically do birth art and birth art practices to help remind me of my inner wisdom and just help me to like remember and understand on a soul level that what happened with my daughter wasn't the only way that I could give birth, that it didn't really have anything to do with us and that it could be different. Can you talk about what birth art is? Yeah, so um, birth art is the process of sitting down and basically like leading myself on a guided meditation whatever whatever the exercise is um birthing from within the book has a lot of exercises for parents to do in there and so I learned this again like I said in my birthing from within trainings and um basically it's process art it's the process it's not the product it's basically sitting there and letting your judgmental or like logical brain move out of the way and just letting your intuitive creative side come out through color and yeah just like really getting into this altered state basically and um I'm always surprised that at what comes out and this process is great for all times it's not just for pregnancy or birth or postpartum but any time that we're feeling the need to connect to our inner knowing and there's like a blockage then taking the time to just like sit still access that inner knowing and then draw paint use pastels use clay whatever it is and so that was really helpful for me. And um, yeah, I really, like I said, I really didn't want the midwife to be there. So it was kind of funny how it worked out because when I did go into labor, I was 41 weeks. And it was really funny because I told my midwife assistant, I said, I'm gonna have him I'm gonna have the baby, it's a boy. He's gonna be born on May 18th. It's gonna be no longer than six hour labor. And I want my daughter to be there. And she was like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And then sure enough, May 18th, I woke up, I don't know, maybe like three in the morning, can't remember, but I started puttering around the house and I remember flipping to an Ina Mae Gaskin page um, from Spiritual Midwifery the, the day before. Anytime I was feeling like I was having a hard time, I would take out Spiritual Midwifery and I would just use it as like um, a divination tool. I would just flip to whatever page came and I would read it and it would always have really good medicine for me. And that day before, I remember the woman talking about, you know, making sure you eat before labor starts because you want to have as much energy as you can. So I went into the kitchen and made myself a little peanut butter and jelly sandwich with some milk. And 
um, went and took a shower and then I went and tried to rest again and it wasn't, it just wasn't happening. And I hadn't experienced natural labor. So I wasn't really sure what I was looking for, but I had this twinging tight sensation really down low in my pelvis, you know, like right above my pubic bone. And so I woke my husband up. I said, I think it's time. And he said, no, it's, it's going to be a while. So why don't you just go back to sleep and get some rest? And I was like, no, I already did that. And it's time. And I had texted my midwife assistant and my midwife lived like an hour and a half away or two hours away. And I think I had texted her, but I was like, I don't like to bother people and I don't like to be the center of attention. So I was just like, oh yeah, it might be happening. But once my husband got up and saw the contractions and timed them, he was like, shit, it's like, it's time for these ladies to get over here. And I remember my midwife assistant getting there probably around 6.30 in the morning and she, she gave me one vaginal exam because I was so far along and I was, I was like, I had my chest on the bed and my, my hips were up high and she, she checked me and she said that my cervix was in the way. And so I started doing those, you know, horse lips and blowing mm -hmm. out through my mouth mm -hmm. to try and slow things down. But I was pretty much between like, you know, the bed the shower, the toilet, the bed, the shower, the toilet, kind of the whole thing. And he was born only an hour and a half later. So it was very, an hour and a half after she got there, I should say. It was about five and a half hours total. And it was, it was just so powerful, you know, to be in my bedroom and birthing him just on the floor in like a squatting position. I had one, one knee was up and one knee was down. And yeah, I was just like, oh my God, I did it. Like I'm the only one that did this. And it was, it was just really powerful. Yeah. That's amazing. Especially after the first experience. Totally. Um, so it was the midwife, the midwife assistant, your husband's and was your daughter like around or was she kind of sleeping? My daughter was there, but she was a little freaked out. Mm -hmm. She was in her room watching a movie. I had a doula come who um, she just happened to actually be a friend and who was actually a doula. And that was really helpful. I didn't think I really wanted a doula, but she had a really great grounding energy. Like when when things were getting really intense, she would just put her hands on my feet, on the soles of my feet, and she would sing these really beautiful songs. And the midwife didn't actually get there until three minutes before he was born. Wow. So basically me and my husband and then the, my doula and my, the midwife assistant. So did the, apart from checking doing the vaginal exam, did they do anything else? Like, were they checking with the Doppler or anything like that? They did check with the Doppler. Okay. Yeah, they, maybe two times. Okay. And so then after, I mean, that birth just sounds so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, so then I, I'm curious to know, so the next, so the, the eight-year-old was um, not a child that you birthed, right? 
She is not a child that I birthed. Okay. Okay. So then the, the birth after this one that we're talking about was, we were talking about this in the pre-chat. So I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of the way that I share about this, but, um, was not attended by any licensed professional. Um, and you can share about like what that means exactly. Um, and why we're not specifically calling it unassisted or free birth. Um, but I, I'm curious to know how you made that decision. Personally, I can kind of understand because I, I had a home birth and I'm kind of curious about free birth. Um, not because I didn't love my doula and my midwives, but just because I'm, I'm curious about it. Um, you know, like what a woman can do by themselves or not necessarily by themselves, but without um, licensed providers. So I'm curious how you how you made that decision to do it. And if it was just kind of like a, can I do this? Or if there was something more specific. Um, yeah. And then, it, I mean, leading up to that, you can also share about conception and the pregnancy and, and all that too. Yeah. So when my son was about nine months old, I guess actually he was probably around, he was around 11 months old and I was at, um, science museum with my mom and my sister and my son and my niece and we were looking at the gemstones and again my intuition came in really strongly and I heard someone say someone here is growing a baby and the baby wants to be called opal and I was like oh my sister must be pregnant because I already have a baby well turns out I was actually pregnant and so my son was nine months when I conceived and around 10 or 11 months when I figured it out. And I had, you know, just, I had just had this really amazing and empowering birth and I just felt so capable. And, you know, the licensed midwives, they come with a pretty hefty price tag. I think that birth was $3,500 and we had some postpartum visits. We had um, some prenatal visits and she was at my birth for, you know, she was there three minutes before he was born. And I don't want to take away from all the work that she did prior, you know, all the study and the, you know, apprenticing and all that being a midwife isn't easy, but for a family that has multiple children, you know, like we're trying to be conscious of our budget and, I had a friend who studied with the Matrona Institute, um, which is quantum birth. And so basically like that methodology just really trusts birth. And my friend had free birthed her three children um, with her husband and he's an acupuncturist and she had a baby around the time that my son was born and we were just kind of like in this baby bubble and I was like I, I think I had even said like before I knew I was pregnant that like if I had another baby I wanted her to be there because it was a friend it was like a friend of our family we prayed together in the medicine way and like we knew each other and so yeah, pretty much right away. I was like, I want you to be at my birth. And she also did prenatals with me and she was a massage therapist. So she gave me massages and 
it was kind of like I wanted it to be more hands-off than the last birth but not entirely hands-off because we had other children and I think that there was also a part of me that like even though I intuitively knew that my daughter wasn't breathing because of negligence and not my negligence there was still like a somatic part of me that was like really scared that like after my baby was born they weren't going to be breathing and so I really wanted support in having someone else there I didn't want to be fully responsible in the case that something happened um and maybe if I hadn't had that traumatic experience maybe I would have felt differently and it would have been really great to be like totally free but um, yeah, so that's how I came to that conclusion. I really wanted just somebody that I already had a relationship with and, um, her husband and her are expanding on their home. And so, and my husband is a builder. And so they're just, they've just been trading time, like hour for hour, the hours that she was with me, he's doing hours of work on their home. And so, you know, there's no money being exchanged. It's just like two families helping each other out. That's so cool. So they live in the eco village where you live now? They don't. This was before. This was before yeah. the eco village. Oh, mm -hmm. got it. Okay. That's so cool though. Whenever you can do a trade, like work for work. Totally. Feels, feels nice. Yeah. Um, okay. And so then from there, oh, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you about when you conceived, um, when your your son was nine months old, were you still breastfeeding? Yes, I was breastfeeding. I was breastfeeding, but he was eating solids. Yeah, and I had, I had three cycles, um, and I wasn't tracking my fertility. It's kind of funny. I had a friend like oh, probably like eight years before that around the time that I had the abortion actually I had a friend that gave me um the Tony Weschler book um mm -hmm. taking part of your fertility and I had it I had it for years and I never looked at it and every time I moved it came with me but I never looked at it until after my daughter was born and so is that when you so you were aware of fertility awareness but just weren't like actively tracking cervical mucus and things like that I was like, it was in my sphere. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was a thing, but I thought it was like something way beyond something I could ever learn. Yeah. I, it's, especially with the size of that book in particular, it seems like it, it is a very complex thing to learn. Um, but once you get the hang of it, it's amazing that not, that all of us aren't taught this from the very beginning. I know. I know. Yeah. Okay. A lot of grief for a lot of women when yeah. they find out about it and I was it the same I was like yeah I was like full of rage and grief yeah yeah same um okay and so then if you would like to talk about the I would love to hear about and it, it seems to me like you're comfortable sharing about the experience um after this lovely um not attended by a professional birth, um, then you you did 
uh, conceive again. And this was pretty recently, mm -hmm. um, maybe a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. um, and you decided not to move forward with that pregnancy um, and decided you wanted to go a different route than what you had done previous, previously in the, the clinical setting. Um, so if you can share about what you did um, and just to throw it out there, like this isn't us suggesting or recommending this, this is just Ashley's story and um, yeah, you can share in whatever capacity you feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So after my last birth in 2018, I started tracking my menstrual cycle and then shortly after started tracking my ovulation and I got really into fertility awareness like at first I read Tony Weschler's book and then I hired a justice practitioner and then I took the femme training and um I was like I was like on it it was I was I was just blown away. It was so healing to be able to witness my body changing and like so empowering to be like, I know what's going on in my body based on what I'm seeing and what I'm tracking and not based on what anybody's telling me. And so for three years, I avoided getting pregnant um, by tracking my cervical fluid and I remember there was like a point probably about a year ago where there was like maybe it was potential that maybe some we were you know using pull-out method that maybe some semen might have gotten into my vagina when there was cervical fluid and so I right away just got on it and started using Queen Anne's lace and Don Kwai and then that was it I started bleeding and it was over and I felt really confident and I was even a little snooty about it. I was like, if you know fertility awareness method and you know about herbs, like you won't get pregnant. And in June, I would say in probably in April and May, I just stopped. I didn't have any cervical fluid for two cycles. I was like, what's going on here? You know, and like, as somebody who knows that this method, like I had just become so reliant on cervical fluid. I was just so good at tracking that, that, you know, looking back, I really could have been getting on like testing my luteinizing hormone or getting on board with BBT again, because mm -hmm. I'd been really good at that. But then I let it slide because I was so good with the cervical fluid and I could have been checking my cervical position. I could have been doing any number of those things, but I just, I didn't. And on Father's Day, I realized that I was pregnant. And I had kind of had some inclination before because I tend to get really bad nausea <clears throat> and I get really hungry in the middle of the night. <clears throat> so, but it was actually like on Father's Day that I was like, I can't get out of bed. I'm so terribly nauseous. I was supposed to bleed that day and I didn't have any, you know, lower abdominal cramping like I normally do. And I was just like, I'm pregnant. And, you know, first it was like, 
how could this happen? How could I let this happen? Oh my God, I'm totally ashamed. Like what kind of fertility awareness educator am I if I'm over here getting pregnant? And then it was like, oh my God, I said I would never have another abortion. Like, what am I going to do? Like my husband and I were totally on the same page and we were like, we don't want to have another baby. You know, we have enough children. We live off grid. That's hard enough. And we were really clear. And I think for like, you know, for like maybe 15 minutes, I was like, oh, baby. Yeah, maybe we can do that again. But then what I realized was just that, you know, I have to feed what's already living. And for, for these things that I love to live, you know, my children, um, the time that I have to care for them, my, my marriage, um, the work that I offer in the world, like for those things to live like this, this has to die. And um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to plug in my charger. It looks like my computer is going to die. It's all good. Do your thing. And um, yeah, can, can you just wait for one second? Sure. Yeah, so I, um, after the shame wore off for, I guess, after I got really real with myself and got clear on what my yes was, what I was saying yes to in my life, it became really clear that this, however I met this experience was really going to shape the rest of my life. And that it was in fact an initiation and I didn't have to go making up stories or taking things personally, that it was actually much bigger. And I come from a long line of women who had a lot of babies. My, both of my grandmothers had eight children. My maternal grandmother had, like I said, she had eight children. My mom was the seventh child. And my mom had me just four days after her 18th birthday. So in my ancestral lineage around like, you know, my maternal lineage is like, there was just this energy that like children are a burden and I didn't want to carry that story with the children that I already have or having another child. And so um, I really thought about that. I really thought about my grandmothers who like maybe would have decided not to have more children because my maternal grandmother, she was tired by the time my mom was born. You know, she was tired. She wasn't a great mom. And that really kind of trickled down to my mom and then to me. And so I really saw how it was up to me to like forge a different way for my lineage. And I decided to weave ritual into the whole experience because I think that's what was lacking from my last experience. And I started at first with herbs. It started with, um, two different herbs 
to halt the progesterone growth inside of me. And so it was a pretty strict protocol where I was waking up every two hours and taking these two different herbs that I don't really feel comfortable naming because I don't want people doing this on their own. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And almost 24 hours after taking these herbs on that really intense protocol, I um, noticed a significant difference in my symptoms. I wasn't as nauseous. And that was a big clue to me that life had already been terminated. Um, yeah, and then I actually have this web of sisters in my area who one of them had access to misoprostol, which is, um, actually, I think it's like a, an ulcer medication that actually just causes smooth muscle contractions. And I started doing a lot of research on this medicine and Molly Dutton Kenny Kenny is a really good resource online. She has a lot of information on there about this. I also found this documentary, I think it's called, um, what is it called? It's about this woman who was a doctor and she was working on a ship in several different countries that abortion was illegal in. It's called Vessel. The movie is called Vessel. And this woman, this doctor, she kept seeing women come in to the clinic, you know, trying to have abortions by drinking bleach or using a coat hanger or just doing all of these things because abortion was illegal, but also in some of these countries, like having a child out of wedlock was also illegal or like some of these women were raped and or incest and so she kind of realized that if she could um help these women in international waters she could like take them out from the land and bring them to international waters and then give them this prescription and they could go home and continue safely with their abortion at home mm-hmm. and so i felt really safe with this medication And the reason that I decided to go with this medication instead of an herbal abortion is because herbal abortions are, they have a very low success rate, only about 20% of it actually works. And herbs are actually much better when they're used along with fertility awareness so that implantation can't happen that's when herbs are used the best, but they're not really great in creating muscle contractions and causing the uterus to expel an already implanted um, embryo. And so it took me a while to come to, you know, I thought I wanted to do it naturally and the medication didn't really feel natural, but then I also had thought about having a menstrual extraction because I knew several women who also did menstrual extractions. But at the end of the day, when I thought about it, I really didn't want to be passively having the contents of my uterus extracted. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to go through the process of labor and do it by myself at night. And 
so yeah like I just reached out to a friend who I knew that did menstrual extraction and she told me that she had the misoprostol and I was able to get it in a few days and I just held on to it until the time was right and when I was really clear and I knew that it was time for me to like really connect with my yes and you know say goodbye to what I felt like was a seed of potential and that potential could be whatever I was going to make it then I had um remember that night putting my kids to bed and sending my husband off to his men's group and had my sister friend come over and I readied my space and cleaned my altar and got all the things together that I wanted to have like my hot water bottle pad and plenty of herbs herbal teas and um Advil and CBD oil and all those things and so I sat at my altar while my sister drummed for me and sang and I administered the medicine myself and your listeners can learn more about those details through either contacting me or looking it up or that resource that I said Molly Dutton Kenny is a really great resource she's a midwife in Canada and um yeah like at the end of that using that medicine I went outside to pee on the earth and I wiped and there was blood already Hmm. 30 minutes after taking it and um I felt such relief in that knowing that knowing that I was just home in my safe place with yeah with with my sister and my kids sleeping safely and like I had several people who I was able to talk this whole experience through with which was very different than the first time and that medication you take three doses in um, every three hours so the first dose I started later in the night I think it was around 10 and Shortly after I started bleeding, my husband got home and my friend did some dishes and and listened to some music and laid there with my hot water bottle, just praying, you know, praying for ease and feeling really good and clear. And then I snuggled with my husband and set my alarm and took the second dose. And I remember getting it getting a little bit more intense at that point. And I went into the shower and I took an Advil at that point and then went and cuddled with my husband again and, you know, dozed off until it was time to, again, sit at my altar, take the third and last dose. And, um, yeah, I was feeling really good and really supported. And like I said, I pretty much labored throughout the night. Then at some point in that time I had passed a clot and I had this really beautiful glass bowl with a lid that I had on my altar to catch any tissue in it um, in the case that I could catch it and it didn't end up in our compost toilet and so I was really grateful to catch one 
Um, one, one, yeah, one tissue. And then later on that day, as the sun was going down, my husband and I and our two youngest children, because the girls weren't with us, the older girls, we walked over to um, a piece of land that we've, we have the intention to buy in the village. It's a little site that we've been courting for the last year and a half. And we, um, my, my son dug a little hole near hemlock tree and we sang some songs and we burned some Palo Santo and we offered that little seed of potential to the earth in hopes that it would become our home. And we put some flowers in there and just made it as beautiful as we could. And in honoring that, that that spark that so much wants to come through my husband and I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did your children know what was going on? I don't think they knew. Um, I didn't tell them. I didn't mm -hmm. tell them like mommy's growing a baby and she's deciding not to have the baby, you know. Um, but my kids are very familiar with my menstrual blood. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it was anything out of the ordinary for them. And I'm not shy about it. You know, like I said, the, the tissue was there. The clot was there on my altar all day and they have access to my altar and were able to see it and look at it. And yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I imagine very emotional, um, but you sound really clear about it. And I think that, yeah, I think having the clarity and the community and the ritual was very pivotal for me because there was absolutely no depression afterwards. It was like night and day with those two experiences. And what I recognized was that I had to have that experience to heal from the first abortion that I had. Mm -hmm. I had to have that experience to have some closure. I had to have that experience to hopefully like instill in my daughters that it doesn't have to be the way that we have been led to believe in our society that it has to be cold, sterile, isolating, depressing. It doesn't have to be like that. And also I think, you know, to be honest, knowing that I don't want to have any more children also solidified that clarity for me. Whereas before I wasn't really clear, I knew I wanted more children. And so that could be where some of the depression came from too. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, and I think that this is especially relevant right now because of what's happening in Texas. Um, yeah. And I think that that's the piece that gets missed is that you made the decision very much based on the children that you already have, you know, yeah. and it, it's not like the people that are against abortion, like consider that, or I don't, I mean, I don't know what everybody thinks exactly, but yeah. Um, I just really appreciate you sharing like where the decision came from. Not that anybody needs to explain their decision, but mm -hmm. it, maybe it's a helpful conversation to, for somebody to hear. Um, yeah. That feels conflicted about that or something. Totally. Um, yeah. Nobody wants to 
have an abortion. Right. Trying to yeah and having an abortion, you know, it's not an easy decision to make. Yeah. 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 So with that said, I I would love to hear. Um, I mean, I'm just being conscious of time and thinking we should be wrapping up relatively soon, but anything that you'd like to share about your intentions for motherhood, um, anything in particular about the eco village and how you came to that decision to, um, kind of do your mothering there. Yeah. Yeah. The, being at the eco village was very serendipitous. I moved here eight years ago, last May, I moved here. Yeah. Eight years ago with my daughter. She was, I think she was six then. I lived here for about a year and a half. And in that time span, I'd seen my husband before he was my husband. He didn't live here, but he would come back here because he had lived here. And I was just very intrigued by him. And then I moved away. I moved closer to him. And you know, just went down a totally different rabbit hole. But then we got together and made these beautiful children. And we were like, why don't we live at Earth Haven again? So we did. And it's been hard, but miraculous too, because we've been so welcomed. And I think both of us having the roots in this village already, like really made it easier to come back because living off grid can be really hard and living in community is also really hard. I don't want to paint an unrealistic picture. This community is governed by council and consensus, which means it takes a long time for things to get decided on. And yeah, it's just, it's a unique experience and I'm very happy to be here. Um, yeah, it's it's a slow moving one. I did start practicing body work here probably like seven months after I landed and we've been here for a little over two years and it's still like my practice is like slowly building and people are slowly understanding the magic that I'm bringing to the table, you know, which is much beyond just a massage. And so that's really nice. I really like contributing to the village in that way and hopefully to just creating a different culture around menstruation and fertility and womb health. Um, my children have the fortune to have a small school that they attend, the, the two youngest two days a week for about three and a half hours. So that's that's the time that I work. And I, I've only, you know, I've carved that time out just to work and no other time, all the other time. I'm basically just a full on mom. Mm -hmm. And I really like having that rhythm. Rhythm is really important to us. Seasonal rhythm and daily rhythm. Um, and then, you know, my moon rhythm and my children and my husband all know if mom's about to bleed, then, you know, we might be eating frozen pizza or, you know, watching movies or just with dad or, you know, just having to read on their own. So, um, yeah, I would say that they're really blessed 
to be here because there's a sense of safety and freedom and they are they have multi-generational relationships you know so today is purple day for my son they're they know them as the colors of the day and so Today is the day that his 13-year-old friend comes and gets him at four o'clock every Monday and they go and catch crawfish or set up traps for possums or catch squirrels or whatever. And then his friend eats with us every Monday. And for a little while, we also had an elder coming over on Mondays too, because he lives alone and he lives like in, in the forest and got to take care of our elders. So he was coming over every Monday and eating with us too, but he just moved off the land. And so really this, they're getting a very rich experience that I know I didn't get and many people in our culture today aren't getting. And I'm very fortunate for that. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky kiddos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my daughter is my youngest daughter is three and a half and she's already riding a bike with no training wheels. Wow. Really amazed. You go girl. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. And she was just a little baby. Um, when I saw her, when we were doing our, our Vigo training, she was yeah. very little, right? She was six months. Six months. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember there being a baby there and being like, wow, that's amazing. So, yeah. yeah, and I was the only one there that brought a baby, mm -hmm. and it was a very different experience, and that's been, you know, my children have been like a compass for me, you know, like if I hadn't conceived my daughter and, and, and had her, my oldest daughter, I might have never gotten into birth work, mm -hmm. and then, you know, even though I don't do birth work anymore, it's all connected, mm -hmm. you know, to the work that I do now in the fertility awareness and so my children have really guided me and I'm so appreciative of that and also it's been a slow path for me to move at the pace of their needs and not at the pace of society's expectations oh a hundred percent I mean I was thinking today um, because we're thinking about moving back to California and when we live in Connecticut now and when I came back here, I, my job has not been anything like it was before. I mean, I was working four or five days a week from like entire days and I, I just have no idea how I would fold my daughter into that other than like getting childcare for that length of time, which doesn't appeal to me at all. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's, I, I'm noticing like the times that I can get work done are like the in-between moments of like when she's sleeping and, and things like that. And it really does slow things down hugely. And I am trying to like take in that lesson for myself of like, okay, like you don't need to move so fast and everything doesn't have to happen immediately as society says it does and I think it's easy to compare yourself to other mothers who maybe are like accomplishing a lot and they're always having like 8,000 newsletters somehow <laughs> and that just like what people have in terms of support and 
um, you know, like how they view like what their priorities are in their mothering journey. And this is not a judgment about anybody or the way they choose to do anything. It's like, we're just talking about our own personal journeys. Um, but yeah, for me, I think it's, I get stuck in that like um, comparison or something. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to, yeah, soften into what motherhood has to, to teach me rather than like kind of dictating um, what I want to learn or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah totally. And it, it's like the most cliche thing is like, I hear the saying all the time, like they're only, you know, like it'll be over before you know it. Or like, they're only this small, they're going to, they're going to grow up so fast. And from like now having a 14 year old, I'm like, oh my God, it's true. They're going to grow up so fast. And to me, like success looks so much different than it did before I had children. It, success to me is doing the ancestral healing. It's creating a different reality for the girls who are growing up behind us to say, I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to rest. And, you know, like, that's what success is for me. It's not checking all the boxes every day and, you know, burning myself out and drinking coffee and taxing my adrenals and kidneys and yeah. I'm not willing to sacrifice that, you know? I love that. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I really... I really relate to that. I have, and it gave me chills when you said that and kind of brought a little tear to my eye. That's exactly what success is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so at this point, if there's, if there's anything that you want to share about where people can find you, I don't know if you work online or if you, you mostly do in-person work, but you can share about that, your website, um, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you're most active and, and people can find you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So my website is rosehipsandritual.com and I'm not really active on Instagram anymore, although there's a part of me that is desiring to become more active and share because there's so much beauty in my life and I really want to share what's overflowing in me. Um, and I do actually do... Um, some online work. So I offer consultations for fertility awareness via Zoom. And I actually have just cultivated a totally new offering based off my last experience, which is supporting women through pregnancy release at home. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not offering any medical advice. I'm not offering any medications, but I'm offering the resources, the tools, the things that got me through um, and are really, really um, what stuck out for me about my experience was the story of Inanna and how she prepares herself for the descent, the initiation and the return. And so that's like really deeply rooted in the offering for pregnancy release is helping women to get to their sacred yes, understand what they're going to need for the pregnancy release, weave ritual into it, but also honor their postpartum and make sure that they're nourished and they're supported. And so I'm really excited about that, especially like you said, with everything that's been going on 
in Texas, really just, yeah, like helping women to find that source within themselves, become empowered and know that they don't need the system. They don't need to answer to the system. They don't need the system's permission. That permission resides in us and yeah. That's awesome. I wasn't sure if you were going to share about that. So I appreciate that you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go over and check Ashley out, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Holly. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes as they're published. And also, if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review to help other people to find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.